I am excited to be here. I've been looking forward to this pretty much since last summer I got to teach, and I've been looking forward to the opportunity to teach again since then. So I'm very excited to be here. And on a topic I really care about, too, this has been important for me in my life and my walk, and I hope that it's helpful for you guys as we, as we jump into it and study some practical reasons to practice purity. But before we start, what I want to do is actually have some interaction with you guys. I expect some talking from you really quick, just for the intro. I just want to get you guys' mind. What do you think of when you think of purity? Integrity. Integrity. We're good. I know you guys are thinking. Sexual sin. Sexual sin. Bingo. Probably how much you struggle with porn and masturbation. Porn and masturbation, yeah. Jesus. Jesus. Yeah. Oh man. Great example of purity, obviously. Having purity in thoughts. Purity in thoughts, yeah. Relationships. Good. Relationships. Marriage. Marriage. Engagement. Engagement. <laughs> Deontay's <laughs> thinking about that a lot this summer. <laughs> Lane's thinking about that a lot this summer. <laughs> well, good. That, those are some great thoughts. And really, that sums up a lot of purity, I think. And we're not going to go into what purity is. I think you guys know what that is just based on what you guys just answered. We know what purity is. What I want to do is give us five practical reasons to practice purity. Because we need motivation. We need reasons practice. We can't just say, oh, I'm going to be pure, but not base it off anything. And we base it off scripture. Remember last week, Deontay talked about being committed to the word. And we're going to do that tonight. We're going to commit ourselves to the teaching of, of the Bible and see what it is it has to say about purity and why we practice that. So to start, we're going to open up in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. That's where all these, pure, these points come from that we're going to be in tonight. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And we'll start in verse 12 once I get there and read that. Starting verse 12. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ to make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you are bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for today. Thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that the, Lord would, the, the word would work tonight in all, in all of us, that we would see what your word has to say about practicing purity and that we would then implement that into our lives, God. May this have a powerful impact on each and every one of us, Lord. None of us are above this sin. To some extent, we all struggle with it, whether it's in thought or action, God, and we need to practice purity in order to glorify you. Lord, we love you, and we pray this in your son's name. Amen. 
Great. Well, as you can see, I've laid out your five points on that piece of paper you've got. But to start, we need to get a little bit of context. I'm going to go through that quick just because there's not a lot of time. So 12 and 13 is just context. And to sum it up, Paul in 12 and 13 is giving what were some excuses for practicing sexual sin and then shoots them down really quick. Read with me in verse 12. It says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. Some were perhaps saying in the church that, oh, well, we're under grace. All things are lawful. But Paul says, no. Right away, he says, not all things are helpful. He wants to remind us as believers that there are things in our life that we can do that aren't going to help us in our Christian walk. They're not going to advance us. They're not going to make us more like Christ. And they're not going to do anything fruitful in our lives. And we have to be aware of that when we're doing whatever we're doing. Not all things are helpful. What we want to be doing is doing things that are going to grow us in Christ-likeness, mature us, and advance us in our walks. Again, he says, all things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. He's taking this one step further, too. He says, all things are lawful for me. Maybe they are. You're under grace. But I will not be dominated by anything. Things that can enslave, especially, guys, sexual sin. Sexual sin enslaves so, so easily. I don't know if any of you have ever struggled with pornography or masturbation before. There are lots of guys that have. But if you ever have, you know how hard that is to stop. Sometimes it seems like it's impossible to stop that. You just, you don't know what to do. It's enslaving. Paul wants to remind us of that too. Not all, not all things help. They can enslave us to a point that we don't know what to do. We're trapped and we're caught up in sin to an extent that we just feel helpless and alone. Verse 13. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. This last excuse that people were using was, oh, it's, bi- it's biological, it's natural. Our bodies are made to have sex, so why not just do, it, do with it what we want? Really, that's the lamest excuse I've ever heard, <laughs> honestly. Just because your body can do something doesn't mean you should do something. And he really hits on that. Paul says, God will destroy both one and the other. If, something's gonna not, if something won't last, we shouldn't allow that to have power in our lives now. Sexual anything's not going to last in eternity. There's no, there's no sex in heaven, so why should we let that have power in our lives now? Why should we practice freely what God has made to be holy? Just because it's natural doesn't mean we need to allow that to run freely and rampantly in our lives. So that's basically... Summing up, he just shoots down any arguments right away. He's like, don't, don't do it. You could sum it up. Don't let this run free in your life. Don't be hindering your walk. Don't be enslaving yourself to sin. And remember that it's not going to last, so why, why have, let something have power over you that won't last in eternity? Which brings us to the, our first point. Look at verse 14. We read, And God raised the Lord and will also raise, up, raise us up by his power. This is Paul's first point. Basically, it's the resurrection you guys see on your notes. Our resurrection hope should drive us in our Christian walk and in our pursuit of purity. We need to remember that God will raise us up as he raised the Lord up. And this should really drive us in a lot of areas of life, but especially purity. As we know, I'm going to be resurrected in a glorified body. I want to glorify God now in the same way I will in eternity. 
we, like, I love 1 Corinthians 15. Go there with me. That's the resurrection, resurrection chapter. And in it, we get some good reasons for why we shouldn't practice a life of immorality now, but rather purity because of the resurrection in verse 32. We get the question asked, what do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. And in short, we're just asked the question, what's the point of anything if there's nothing afterwards? Really, we could say if there's no resurrection, if there's no eternity, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. It's just going to end, so why not live it up now? And that's a, if the resurrection wasn't real, this would be a good reason to do whatever we want, but it's not. The resurrection is real. That's why we get in verse 34, just two verses later, we read, wake up from your drunken stupor, as is right, and do not go on sinning. Wake up from that stupor that you believe, oh, this is it. This is the life we have now. Because there is a resurrection, do not go on sinning. Continue to glorify God in your body, to practice purity because there's a resurrection. Don't be living in this state of almost drunkenness just because you think this is it in the here and now. It's not. The first reason we're giving for practicing purity is the resurrection. Back in 1 Corinthians 6, the second reason is unity with Christ. This is the longest uh, reason we have, and just because it needs to be explained out well. So in verse 15 we read, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? And that's the union with Christ we're talking about. We're part of his, his body. Because when we read the word members, this doesn't mean like we're members of a gym or a club. You don't get a card on it that says, I'm a member of Jesus when you become a Christian. Rather, he's talking about a member like a body part. Like your arms, your legs are members of your body. We, as Christians, are members of Christ's body. So then we have to ask ourselves, shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? In verse 15, never. Because we're united with Christ wholly, we should not be taking our bodies and joining them with a prostitute. This is a huge idea. It's, it's all-encompassing in the area of sexual sin. He, com- he compares sexual immorality to joining ourselves, which means then joining Christ with a prostitute. This is huge. You would never, like, no one would think Christ to be joined with a prostitute. He never was, and he never will be. Yet when we, who are joined with him, choose to, choose to commit any sexual immorality, we then are uniting our bodies with Christ. But if you're asking how, how that happens, just look at verse 16. We read, Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. Really, what we're reminded of is God's original design and intention for sex. Um, We get quoted here, Genesis 2.24, which we should go to back in the very beginning of your Bible, chapter 2. The end of that chapter, Eve has just been made out of Adam's rib, and he says that this is the last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And then we get this, what almost seems to be kind of a note tacked onto this creation account of woman. And we read, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So what we see 
when we look at this verse and we look at 1 Corinthians 6 is that it's understood that sex is the act that brings two people together into one flesh. That's what happens when a man leaves his father and mother and holds fast to his wife. They're becoming one through that, through that act as well as through marriage. And so making two people one is making whatever is connected with that person one. So since we're in union with Christ, if we're going to commit a sexual act, it is then uniting Christ with that as well. So it must be within the bounds of marriage. It cannot be sexually immoral because to do that would be to join Christ with a prostitute. And those are, those are heavy words. You just think about that and you're like, you, like, just like Paul, you have to say never, never. This, can't, this cannot happen. We cannot allow this to happen in our lives. But it goes on to more than just body too in verse Corinthians. In 6.17 we read, Paul just continues on this idea of union. He says, but he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. These three verses, 15, 16, and 17, are hard-hitting on our unity with Christ. This isn't just bodily. It's not like we're just body, we're one body with Christ, but we also have his spirit. We are united with him completely. So we need to be aware of that. We need to have that outlook on life as we're going around practicing purity. We know it's like we practice purity. Why? Because I'm united with Christ from body to spirit. I am completely united with him because of my faith and what he has done. So that's reason number two, that we are united with Christ, holy from body to spirit. Reason number three is in verse 18. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. And first we have the only command in this passage is flee from sexual immorality. This is just something Paul adds because we need to be aware of how much we need to flee from it. We need to flee because the reason is that every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. You're sinning against yourself when you practice sexual immorality. That's what it comes down to. And think about it. When you're sinning against someone, when you sin, who do you sin against? God. Yeah, Psalm 51. David says, against you and you only have I sinned. You're sinning against God. You've also sinned against that person you've committed that sin against. If you lie, you sin against that person you lied to. If you steal, you, you sin against that person you've stolen from. And it's the same with sexual immorality too. Yes, you commit a sin against that person you've committed that act with or had that thought about. But also, you sin against yourself. You sin against yourself. I can't help but think of pornography when I think of that. Yeah, there's a lot of evil in pornography. We could talk about sex trafficking. We could talk about numerous amounts of sins. But also, when you're clicking those links, when you go to that site, who are you sinning against first and foremost? God and then yourself. No one else really at that time especially is that much affected. There are a lot of effects of it, don't get me wrong, but you're sinning so much against yourself. And that's just not with pornography. It's huge with pornography, but that's not the only time sexual immorality is against yourself. Anytime you commit a sexual sin, you're sinning against yourself because that's not what your body was made for. And really, that should really change our thinking because who wants to sin against themselves? 
you can't really steal against yourself. You know, I'm like, oh, I'm going to steal five bucks from me. <laughs> you just, it doesn't make any sense. You don't do that. But with sexual immorality, people are far too quick to allow themselves to sin against their own bodies. They're like, oh, it's just, it's fine. You know, they go back to that, it's natural argument, maybe. It's not. We're not made for that. And to commit any sexually immoral act is a sin against yourself. So that's the third reason in verse 18 that we sin against our own body. Reason number four. Sorry, my mouth gets dry when I talk, so water is good. Reason number four, we find in verse, the first part of verse 19. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? Reason number four, guys, the Spirit dwells in you. The Holy Spirit dwells in you. We need to be reminded of this daily. It's, the truth is that God himself in the third person of the Trinity has resided in you. Jump back to John 14. This is a promise from Jesus about the Holy Spirit to us. This is in the Upper Room Discourse. He's talking with his disciples and just giving them a few final words before his crucifixion. And this is just a great encouragement to them. They probably didn't realize it at the time, but I'm sure looking back, they're like, oh man, what a great encouragement. 16, verse 16 of John 14 We read, and I will ask the Father, this is Jesus speaking, of course, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. And I was really, there's a lot in these verses. We obviously don't have time to break it down, but two big things stick out to me right away. First is in verse 16. He says, I, he will, the Father will give you another helper to be with you forever. This is forever. This, the Spirit doesn't come and go. as he, he is our seal forever. That's what Ephesians 1 says. And here we're promised that this is a forever thing. The Spirit resides in us always. The second, second big thing I notice in this verse is in verse 17. At the last last part of it, you read, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. So he's not just there by our side. It's not like the Spirit's by our side kind of tugging us along, but he dwells within us. Jesus promised this to us, that he would be with us forever, residing inside of us. And this is huge. This is such a great blessing from God for the Christian to have the Spirit inside of us. But when we commit sexual immorality, damages everything. You know, in, in, back in 1 Corinthians 6, Paul says that our body, our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you. It's a temple, and I can't help but think of the temple of the Old Testament when I think of the word temple. You know, I, that was, I'm sure, intentional of Paul to remind us of that, because the temple was so important to the Old Testament Israelites. I was reading up in the Old Testament, a little bit about the temple just to refresh myself on its importance. And I was reading in 1 Kings 8. The temple has just been constructed, and they're bringing the ark in. And, that, and in 1 Kings 8, 11, you don't have to jump there, but I'm just going to tell you that there it says that once the ark was completed and brought in, the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. And it filled it to such an extent that 
the priest couldn't even minister in the temple because of God's glory. God's glory dwelt there in the temple. That was his dwelling place on earth with the Israelites in the Old Testament. And that's huge because to desecrate the temple to an Israelite was just unthinkable. That was complete and utter blasphemy against God to desecrate the temple. This is God's dwelling place. He resides here in the temple, and we cannot desecrate it. He is the most holy of all beings, and the temple is his dwelling place, so we cannot desecrate it. And yet we see in the New Testament that now, with the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, we each become a temple. That's big. That's huge. How, how easily we are willing to desecrate that temple when we don't practice purity. And, yeah, it comes back to, that, that would be blasphemy against God to desecrate his temple with any kind of sexual act. And yet, we forget that too often that the Spirit dwells in us and that our bodies are a temple that should be used to glorify him because he dwells within us. So, reason number four, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit given you from God. And reason number five, reason number five, guys, is my, my favorite, personally. And as I think about it, I, it's such a good reason, such a good reason. Of all of these, this motivates me the most, and I'll explain why. Finishing out verse 19 and going into verse 20, we read, You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. In short, guys, we were ransomed. We were bought. This is the gospel. This last reason brings us back to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let's unpack what he means by you were bought with a price. We're going to go to two different passages um, towards the end of your Bible. Revelations 5.9. Sorry, Revelations, not Revelations. Revelation 5.9. Hold your finger there, because that's the second passage. And the other passage is in 1 Peter, right after James. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. And in 1 Peter 1, I'm actually going to start reading in 17, because that's where the sentence kind of starts. But 18 and 19 are what we're going to focus on. So starting in verse 17, we read, And if you call on him as Father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. So that's that one. I'm going to read the other one too, so you can keep your finger now in First Peter and Go to Revelation 5. I just want to read both of these so we can talk about them a little bit more. Revelation 5, 9. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And these, these people that are singing, there's elders singing, elders and saints, and they're singing about Jesus. So in these two passages, in First Peter one and Revelation five, there's one word that really sticks out and that's ransomed. We were ransomed. We were bought. And what it says we we're bought with, 
First Peter, it says we're bought with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without spot, blemish or spot. In Revelation 5, it says we're, by your blood you ransom people for God. These passages, passages both, both tell us the same thing. The price that bought us, the price that ransoms us, is not any form of money. It's not some monetary value that we have, but rather, the Christian is bought by Jesus' precious blood. And that's moving. On Calvary, Jesus shed his blood and died so that we as sinful humans could be a people ransomed to God from the curse of, curse of sin. When our faith is placed in him, that ransom price, that, that blood that was shed on the cross, Jesus' perfect, blemishless, spotless, I don't know if that's a word, I'm sorry. <laughs> without blemish and without spot, spotless blood, it buys us. That was the price that was paid. Jesus himself died for you and for me. What a great truth that is. <laughs> We're bought with the precious blood of Christ because there's nothing we could do. We're sinful. There's no price we can pay to atone for our sins. But Jesus then said, I will die for you. I'll shed my blood for you so that we could be ransomed. It's great. It's beautiful. It's the best news ever, guys. And that's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6 that you are not your own. Because of that ransom, because of that bloodshed, we don't belong to ourselves. We can expand on that. Romans 14, 7 to 8, I'll read that to you. It says, For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. We don't belong to ourselves. We are the Lord's. Whether you live or whether you die, you are his. Jesus paid for us. And really, Jesus paying for us is what gives us these other reasons too. If we weren't bought with a price, we wouldn't be able to say that we'll be resurrected to live with the Lord. We'd be resurrected to death. If Jesus didn't pay for us, we wouldn't be in union with Christ. If Jesus didn't pay that ransom price for us, we would not realize the total effect of sin and its effect on our own lives. If Jesus didn't pay for us, we wouldn't have the, the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. None of this would be true. But Jesus did pay for us. He shed his blood for us. These are great truths, guys. These five things should motivate us to practice purity. Let me just tell you again what they are. Number one, we look forward to the resurrection and live in light of that hope now in the way we live our lives and practice purity. Number two, we are fully united with Christ as part of his body. Number three, sexual, sexual immorality is a sin that not only sins against God and another person, but sins also against ourselves. Number four, our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit. And the fifth reason, we're purchased by Jesus' shed blood and death on the cross. These are great. These are great. And it gives us one end goal, too. I didn't finish this passage. We have one more phrase to look at. 
last sentence, verse 20, it says, so glorify God in your body. We need these five reasons. We need them for one purpose, our end goal. The drive of our purity is to glorify God in our bodies. We don't just glorify God with our tongues and our speech, but in everything we do. Purity is how we glorify God in our bodies. So, think on these things. Let these reasons motivate you, all of you, in your, in your pursuit of purity, whether it's in thought, whether it's in action. Don't let sin reign in your mortal bodies, but glorify God in your body. Use these reasons. And remember these great truths, guys. This is so important. This is huge, and we need to be driving after this, striving to set our minds on these things day in and day out, to discipline ourselves, to have this thought so that we might glorify God in our bodies. Let's pray again. Heavenly Father, these reasons are wonderful, Lord, as we consider that we, we have a resurrection hope, we are in union with Christ, we realize the effects of sin on ourselves. God, we know we are temples of your spirit, and we also know that Christ shed his blood and died for us, Lord. God, give us hearts and minds that think on these things, that drive these, have these motivations to practice purity, Lord. Purity extends from thought to action. In whatever way, if it's an immoral thought or an immoral deed, Lord, if it's by ourselves or with another, let us not be practicing sexual immorality in any way. Father, help us to have these mindsets. Lord, make us men of integrity who want to glorify you in our bodies. Amen.